Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Boy, oh boy, do we have an amazing episode today with Brian Livingston. I am so, so stoked for you guys to hear this one. Brian is such an amazing human. He is a very multifaceted person, to say the least. He was a top performing distance runner. He spent 15 years working at Nike as a retail brand manager and a digital account manager. He was also an Eakin for Nike, which if you don't know, is basically somebody who knows the brand of Nike, like the back of their hand, all the ins and outs. He is now the marketplace lead for Morton, the up and coming and very fast growing brand Morton, who is behind the hydrogel technology. Brian has also lived abroad a few different times. He lived in Australia. He lived in Europe. He lived in Africa. He has such an incredible story and he has a huge breadth of knowledge. And this podcast is packed with so much information and inspiration from Brian's experience training with elite marathon runners in Kenya to breaking down the science of fueling for running. This episode is definitely one of my favorites I've done so far. But before we dive too far into it, let's first hear from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Switchback. Switchback is a community brand that my friend Brock and I started working on earlier this year. We're both searching for a high quality electrolyte product without all the garbage like sugar and artificial sweeteners. And we also wanted something that had a more effective ingredient profile where you didn't have to take several servings in order to get the right dosage. So we set out to formulate our own. Each serving of electrolytes has a thousand milligrams of sodium, which helps to reduce headaches, keep you properly hydrated throughout the day, prevents bonking and cramping during a race or a hard workout. It also has 400 milligrams of potassium, which also helps to prevent cramping and proper hydration. We also added in 500 milligrams of coconut water powder, which is a great source of natural electrolytes. It also helps with the flavoring of the product. And another addition that we made was estrogen. This is a compound that helps with nutrient and vitamin absorption. We've never seen electrolyte supplements add this in there, and we think that it can really make a big difference. And the science is there to back that up. Switchback is also free from any added sugars. We use stevia to sweeten it. But aside from a high-quality electrolyte product, we also wanted to build a community and provide a place for individuals to connect with other like-minded people through the common interest of health, wellness, and running. We'll also be partnering with group runs all throughout the country. We've already had several meetups here in Austin, Texas, but we really want to be the fuel source for all of those memory-making moments, which often happen at those group runs. We've had some really, really amazing feedback from everybody so far on the flavor, the ingredients, the design, and the community aspect of everything. You guys can check us out at goswitchback.co to shop our electrolytes as well as find out where our next group run will be but again go switchback.co go check us out this episode is also sponsored by two before performance nutrition two before is by far one of my favorite running supplements i take it every single day and especially before big races or big running workouts two before played a crucial part in me hitting my 244 marathon pr at the chicago marathon in october earlier this year if you're not familiar with two before they are a new zealand based company that creates some of the highest quality black currant powder on the market the black currant berries that they use are grown in new zealand soil which gives their benefits an extra boost black currant berries have been proven scientifically to increase endurance speed up muscle recovery and strengthen immunity i take two before every morning about 30 to 60 minutes before for my runs and it tremendously helps with my recovery my performance during the workouts as well as strengthening my immune system like i mentioned this is truly one of my favorite running supplements and i would recommend it to anybody looking to improve their health and fitness journey you can use my code j miller for ten dollars off your order at twobefore.com again that is j miller 
J-M-I-L-L-E-R, for $10 off your order at 2before.com. With all that being said, here is Brian Livingston. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller. Every week, I chat with fascinating people from all walks of life in order to bring you knowledge, inspiration, and insight. If you enjoy the show, you can support it by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. This is the Jeremy Miller Podcast. All right, Brian Livingston, welcome to the podcast, man. Really stoked to have you here today. Thanks, Jeremy. Happy to be here. Dude, so you're in town for the uh, running event, right? It's an epic running week. Yes. The the running event, this is our second time coming to this event. For me personally, I've been out on the road visiting our key partners. TRE is kind of like the meet in the middle, and then I go to the California International Marathon at the end of the week. So it's really an odyssey of running. Okay. Do you travel a lot for your work? Or are you most? I know you're based in Portland, but do you do most of your work there, or do you have to travel quite a bit? I get to travel. Uh, I'm a market lead. This is the, the name that Morton has designated me, and uh, yeah, so so we're really the Swiss Army knives of Morton. We're the face of the brand. So um, I do remote work at at home, where I'm really like working with our our account partners. But what really fuels my fire is getting out and meeting people, and nothing beats a handshake, right? And, right. And and talking to and talking to you. Yeah, dude. I'm glad to have you here. Great. I like the mindset of I I get to travel. You don't have to travel. You get to. It's a reframing, <laughs> right? And right. I think yeah, coming out of you know years of. Uh, a time where you know we're kind of locked down it creates this um sense of languishing uh this was a a new york times looked at this word called languishing where you know you're kind of just laying dormant mm. right i don't even know what that word means I've yeah never heard it's, that before. it's languid right you're 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 not re- it's not like you're you're not doing anything but you're not really doing something you're just kind of laying dormant right and mm. i think it's time to start celebrating getting out again right and right. i think in terms of sport where we live, it's really getting people to think beyond um, just participation and really breaking through and doing more, thinking yeah. more, believing more, becoming more. Does Morton do a lot of in-person events in terms of like uh, like group runs or like group events hosted by Morton? Or is it more like coming to expos, coming to the running event, things like that? All of the above. Right. We're 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 a global brand, but I think the key to um, being a brand is a big brand is how do you appear small? Mm-hmm. And so Morton starts as this big global brand sponsoring, you know, the top athletes, sponsoring the top races, Berlin, right? So we've got Kipchoge at Berlin and these two hour projects. That's how we got known, right? How do you distill that to the local level, right? right. So you've got to really be in, in both of those hemispheres. So that's what I really get a kick out, out of is how how do you take a big brand and make it feel small and familiar? Um, because that's where really you can um, meet somebody where they're at and move them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's got to be a tough – that's got to be a challenge for big companies because it's like – I mean – you know, corporations are so massive, it's hard to relate to them, I feel like. Whereas if you give it that kind of mom pod shop type of feel, it's like it's more relatable. Whereas, yeah, I mean, like Nike or something huge is like, how do you relate to a brand of that size? 
I love that you say that because I gave fifteen better right. years, better fifteen <laughs> years of my life to, to Nike, which was great. And Morton only has fifty employees, right? Nike has fifty-five thousand employees. Morton has fifty. So while it appears like a big company, oh, it's actually wow, still okay. pretty small and almost kind of like a startup. And so I love that you mentioned that juxtaposition of of Nike and, and Morton because they they are they are very very different, but essentially trying to do the same thing is to create that familiarity. And it's easier at Morton because we haven't reach that 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 level yet where people are making big salaries and people are complacent um and you have what's called excessive civility where people are like uh yeah things are cool i'm complacent you go along to get along we're still a culture that's growing and accelerating and so it's open to ideas and open to um change and people uh like myself you know at 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 my level can make an impact and have my voice heard whereas at really big corporations you're kind of a cog in the wheel so it's at a it's at a really critical uh point morton is uh yeah we're, we're kind of past the startup phase but now we're in this acceleration phase of growth um we're really well known and now it's about really connecting with uh with with athletes of you know that mindset of really um breaking through right not yeah. just showing up but breaking through we want to be the brand that really challenges you to to do more that's incredible i would have never guessed morton's only 50 employees yeah like you guys seem in a good way a bigger brand than that like because it's i mean you sponsored the boston marathon when i ran it earlier this year i know you mentioned berlin uh you guys have a huge expo booth like what from what i saw at the running event it's uh that's crazy it's only 50 employees i would have never guessed do you know what number employee you were when you came in uh somewhere in the turn from 20 to 30 to oh, 30s wow. yeah so definitely probably when it was more in that startup phase right yeah there's definitely that feel we all go over to gothenburg twice a year and we all fit in the kitchen and project the slides up on the kitchen wall oh my so goodness. this was we just got back and this was the last year where we had did half of the meetings in the kitchen and the other we did at the university hall across the street so oh we're goodness. we are starting to grow and we're starting to outgrow that 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 kitchen we still maintain that kitchen mindset right and yeah. that's that's really i think that the thrust of the company is just how do we keep it as a as a family? And I think that's kind of unique to Swedish culture too. Is it's a it, the Swedes are very um, you know family and connection oriented. They even have a term that kind of defines their life, lagom, which means just enough. And you know do and 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 uh, not not too big, not too small, just right. And uh, and and connectivity and strong work life balance. So it's 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 uh, a, a great change from you know the the hustle and bustle that used to come with working for Nike. Yeah, let's let's go back to those Nike days before we got to Morton. Don't just kind of run us through yeah. your whole journey because um, I know you were a pretty high level runner even before the Nike days, right? I was. I'm in my encore years now. I'm trying to find that midpoint between dad bod and uh, and and an Olympian. I'll get there. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I after graduating from USC in uh, 2000, uh, I actually said I can't continue to live in LA. I was obsessed with with running. Um, I my hero at the time was Paul Turgot who is uh, the cross-country champion and 10K silver medalist in the Atlanta Olympics. And there was a great rivalry between Paul Turgut and Haile Gabriel Selassie. So these were the runners of my, my yeah. day. And, and so I wanted to be like them. And I remember 
um, reading about Paul Turgat in, funnily enough, GQ magazine. GQ magazine did a little blurb on Paul Turgot, okay? And it was um, around him and his training, and, to, and he gave two pieces of advice. He said, to be a great runner, don't be afraid of hard work, and don't be afraid to sacrifice your life for running. I love that. And that really resonated with me, Jeremy. And I said, I'm not going to be a great runner in LA. It's just not conducive to that environment. I need to be in an area where, uh, you know, one, I can run without traffic physically, but also <laughs> yeah. figuratively yeah. too. So I had been lucky to um, do a year abroad um, in, when I was at USC in Australia. Oh, nice. And discovered Australia. Uh, uh, the cap? Are you familiar? If I was to ask you what the the capital of Australia is, do you know what it is? I feel like I want to say Sydney, but it's. I'm going to give Sydney. you multiple choice because okay. this was actually a question on who wants to be a millionaire. Oh gosh. Okay. A Sydney, B Melbourne, C Canberra, or D Brisbane. Oh gosh, I'm going to say C because that's the only one I've never heard of. And you'd be right. Oh, okay. It's Canberra. <laughs> okay. I, I, I would have never guessed that if you didn't tell me. <laughs> and nobody, and, and I think they actually got it wrong or had to like do, lose a bunch of lifelines to get the answer because they asked the audience and half the audience said Sydney, half the audience said Melbourne. Yeah. And nobody really knows about Canberra, but Canberra is really a great training destination in australia aussies actually hate canberra when they hear that i lived in canberra they're like canberra mate why'd you live down there but when you tell them you're an athlete they get it because it's called the bush capital because you walk out your door and you're surrounded by bushlands there so you can be on a trail within five minutes and run just miles and miles of uninterrupted trail so that's why the australian institute of sport is there so the the australian version of the olympic training okay. center that we have in colorado springs um that's there uh and it's just it's a non-distraction atmosphere it's 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 a political town so people don't party right well i don't know maybe they do. but <laughs> it, it's it's not yeah it's not a raging party city like sydney or or melbourne it's you know it's lower key politicians defense uh the defense force uh bases are there and stuff so it's um it, it's it's a it's a paradise for distance runners Nice. And I had, uh, and, and so I've been lucky enough to do a year there. Uh, this was after college? Studying, uh, doing doing a year abroad um, as part of my study. And so okay, when I okay. graduated from USC, I said, I'm going to move to Australia because I need to sacrifice my life for running. And it's not going to happen in LA. So I moved to Australia and I go on a tourist visa because I'm just like, I, fuck it. I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to go and just see what happens and just see what oh, happens. that's awesome. And uh, see what I can see what I can turn this into. So it was great because um, I, you know, you can't just live on mayonnaise sandwiches alone, which is what I was doing while you know I was I was trying to make my living as a running running bum. But I, I went back to school in Australia and I got my master's in teaching, and so that opened up a whole bunch of new doors for me that actually allowed me to um, uh, qualify for permanent residency in Australia ah, as a okay. teacher. So I was teaching over there and teaching is a great job to have as a runner because yeah. you get after your, your, after your, your day ends at three, uh, you can train, you get paid holidays, you know, throughout the, throughout the year where, you know, you had two weeks, two weeks stint in winter, long summer break. Yeah. What did so, you teach over there? Everything. Really? Yeah. So as a, as a, as a, a new teacher and trying to you know qualify for immigration status, I got hired by a very small private school, 
Um, cause I couldn't be hired by public schools. You had to be, you know, private, uh, uh, that was part of the criteria. And so I got hired by a very small Christian school, um, that, uh, made me head of the drama department, head of the English department, a P I did all the boys PE. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, that was great. Cause that, yeah, just allowed me to have balanced my day, make some money. Um, and yeah, live out my passion as a distance runner. And I felt, and I was under the tutelage of a coach at the Australian Institute of Sport. And what's cool about that is they kind of turn you into a guinea pig because the Australian Institute of Sport is also a research center. And so they have all the athletes there doing all types of studies, lots of which are nutritional studies. So a lot of the information that we have today about carbohydrate limits and and breaking those ceilings come from studies that I did back around oh, wow. the turn of the century with a very famous nutritionist over there, Louise Burke, um, who, yeah, uh, um, did, uh, you know, rudimentary studies of uh of taking gels and seeing you know how 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 much faster how much more efficient you could run with uh with with uh you know fueling right, right. which i had really never done not done before mayonnaise sandwiches <laughs> yeah. you know that that was it there's a little bit of carbs there and the two pieces of bread but yeah we didn't really know anything right. we and i grew up with gatorade a kid of the 90s yeah. you know we, we drank gatorade and i we depended on lunch to get us to practice and uh so selfishly, you know, I work for Morton now, one to kind of relive those day, try to try to um, relive, uh, um, have a new lease on life with knowing that those days right. are lost. And, you know, what could it be like if I properly fuel? But also um, altruistically, I want to make sure that the new generation doesn't make the same mistakes yeah. that, I, that, that I made. What, uh, what years did you live in Australia when you were doing all this research? Uh, from 2001 to 2008. So I was actually there during September 11th, which was oh, really wow. bizarre. Um, just being abroad and, and seeing all that happen and then just not even going home for, yeah. for that. But just like being in Australia and seeing that through the filter of, of Australians was really interesting. But uh, yeah, it was a really, it was, it was a great time um, for for me and just learning more about myself. I, I, I hear like you go through a renaissance in life kind of at, at 10 and then 20 and then then you have a midlife crisis, yep. <laughs> which can be a renaissance too at the at the at the end of, at the end of it. But uh, yeah, um, it was it was a great time of growth for me and just pioneering spirit yeah. uh, that I wouldn't trade for for anything else. Was that's fun. so cool. I yeah. think that's so crucial for people to get out of totally. their home environment or like wherever they grew up in did you grow up in la too i did and and so yeah. it doesn't put any rigor in your life like i i actually come right. from a, a a family of you know a pr pretty um well-off upbringing and so you, you can't be a good distance runner if you don't suffer right <laughs> yeah. so i needed to put some suffering into my life so yeah i went to australia and kind of lived like a spartan and 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 and, and that was and, and that was great and uh yeah i think just introducing that that rigor and yeah. just made me uh a more yeah effective effective runner and just effective person yeah oh there's so much to the suffering side of things with distance running like all the people i know that are really elite or people that continue to to hit prs and, and hit distance running goals they've all got like some whether it's trauma or like some past life event or experience that that i think they usually kind of lean on to get them through a lot of that stuff which is so so interesting i know even like like a lot of the Kenyan guys at the top of the world, like they're like, they grow up with like really hard childhoods and like, they don't have cars. They, they have to run like miles to school and being able to 
go through adversity, I think teaches you so much mental strength that then applies to distance running. Sure. And so let's reframe that as a positive, right? Because yeah. it's these things, this lack of facilities that makes them so hard. And right. I, I love that you mentioned Kenya because I think the, the, the icing on the cake here that really solidified this, this insight around hardship happened to me when I went to Kenya in 2006, so kind of the end of my life in Australia. Um, I was actually able to represent Australia at a race called The Greatest Race on Earth which is a combination of uh, marathons uh, uh, in in Hong Kong, Nairobi, Delhi, and uh, and Singapore. Oh, wow. And so it's the combined times. It's you you run on a team of four, and so each person runs one marathon, and it's the oh. it's the it's the fastest aggregate time that wins. So do they still do this? They might. I haven't checked, but I did. I signed up for Nairobi. Oh, nice! Right, and I because I was like, I, I want to go to I want to go to Africa. I've been to Africa as a kid, but I wanted to go as a runner. And I could had convinced the organizers of this race and the Australian uh, committee on this. It's uh, I said, hey, if I'm really going to do due diligence to running well at this race, I don't I can't just fly into Nairobi for a day from Australia, right? Because yeah. the the thought was, oh, we fly you in on on Friday, you run on Sunday, and you fly back on Monday. There's no way you're going to get over jet lag from Australia to Nairobi. It's yeah. a huge distance. So I said, look. Can I go to can I go to Kenya for a month, train at altitude, and really like deliver a win, right? Like really do due diligence to this, and they let me do it, and it was awesome because I, uh, you know, this was a time where Eten was just kind of like a new frontier for for dis, for Western distance runners. Yeah. The Kenyans, it had always been their mecca. What but, is Eten? You got to explain. So Eten is a village uh, oh, okay. in in Kenya, uh, high and the highlands outside of uh, outside of Nairobi. So farm country. So the 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 Kalenjin people are the uh, are are the runners of of Kenya. They they're the they're, they're the, this is the tribe that Paul Turgat is from and okay. they have all the names of uh, uh, Lagat and 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 uh, and Kip in their name. Uh, so Kiptum, Kiplagat, Kiptanui, all of these names that you hear come from the Kalenjin tribes. Yeah. These are Kalenjin um, names and uh, they all live in Eten. So you have this okay. saturation of, of of runners. You have this brain trust uh, of of all of these runners living up there. And I had the opportunity to to go there at a time where, you know, this is not known to a, a lot of Western runners. And the big greatest insight was given to me by a guy, I don't remember his name, but it had Kip in it. And uh, we're looking over the rift valley with a cradle of civilization right where yeah. life where, where life walked out of the rift rift valley the That's first so cool. humans and he says you know brian in kenya there is no such thing as a fun run we do not run for fun there is road race if you cannot break 28 minutes for 10k you need to rethink your life oh my gosh and just that struck wow. the, the idea of sacrifice and the idea of putting everything on the line and, yeah. and just really hit home to me and has always been kind of just a, a North star to me in terms of thinking about running so much that, you know, I've taken other runners with me to Africa 
to not do a four month, not do a, a month long training camp, but just go for 10 days so you can understand that insight and see these runners in action and what they go through and what that mentality is. And it, it, it helped me to contextualize the race that I ran Nairobi, Nairobi marathon. So uh, it's not a fast race at all because it's at altitude mm-hmm. and it's on cobblestones and there's, there, there's a wheelchair component to it oh, and wow. wheelchair uh, athletes are flying down hills. And I'm not talking, these aren't the new types of wheelchairs with the three wheels. These are the ones with two wheels that you'd find in a hospital oh and they're gosh. flying down hills, flying out of their wheelchairs into the, Jeez. into the street, people picking them back up, getting back on the wheelchair and go like, this is just mania. Um, so yeah, suffice it to say, not the fastest, not the fastest race, but I, I start to come home strong at the end and I'm running through and, and I'm running to the finish and I start passing several Kenyan runners and there's lots of people on the street cheering, but no applause as I start to come through. And I'm like, uh, and I think if I had flown in for just a day, I would have been like, what the hell? Why is nobody cheering? But I understood why, right? Because me passing Kenyan runners that have given their lives yeah. to be at this race, I saw that as uh, something very coveted and something that was, yeah, truly honorable. And I didn't take offense to that. And I, I understood, I understood why. And wow. I've just, I've, I've taken that mentality with me, um, to, into, into my running life, into my family life, into just my coaching life. Um, just getting run. I think that's the most important thing. There's a mindset piece. There's a mindset piece to this performance is a metric, but it's also a mindset. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I think marathons are such a good metaphor for life. Like the first 20 miles of a marathon are manageable usually, but it's those last six where you can have the best training, the best nutrition, the best everything, best weather. Uh, but if you're not mentally strong through those last six miles, the last 10K, it's like none of the, nothing else matters after that. Yeah, you 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 know this. I mean, you've you've started to foray even into the hundred uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, ultra races. Right? I think marathons are harder than yeah. ultras, right? Uh, but it's about endurance, right? right? It's endurance of the body. It's endurance of the mind. And so, yeah, I, uh, it's great to be um, affiliated with companies. Uh, I've been lucky to be affiliated with companies like Nike and Morton where I get to be what I do, yeah. right? And I think that that's also key to being happy is be be what you are. Do what do what you are. Yeah, I remember I've heard you say that before. I think it was on the, the call we had a couple of weeks ago. You said um, you really, when it came to like choosing your career path and and figuring out what you want to do for work. You're like, I want my career to align with who I am as a person, not the other way around, which I feel like that's how most people kind of approach it is, is the opposite of what you do. It's where, where people, they make their career, their personality. It's like they, you know, based on what their parents tell them or their friends or just wherever life takes them, they, they go and be a lawyer. And then being a lawyer is their, their, that's their whole personality. Whereas if you figure out who you are as a person, and then you let your career align with that. That's such a more pure way of going about it, I feel like. Well, it's not work at that point. Right, right? exactly. So, yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, but on that, uh, from, from the Kenya piece, uh, Kiptum was a uh, like a goat farmer or something, right? All these guys are farmers. So Kip really? is, it's a term of like you're of, of something. So like oh. your, your, your Kiptum is like the son of, son of Tum or Legata. Kip Legata is the son okay. of Legata. And they're all farmers. It's farm, it's, it's farm culture. And so they're her, so they're mobile. Right. And, and, and so this is also a huge thing is that, you know, these, they're always moving and, 
you know, it's very different from us who are, you know, we sit for work. Yeah. They move for work. So they just have a natural buoyancy that translates into their running um, and reminds you of watching kids run because yeah. they're so they're they're so effortless and they have such a natural geometry that we lose when we sit down and work but when you're picking up water or you're tilling with a hoe or you're throwing hay bales into into a, into a barn right these natural types of movements of multi-directional movements just work out all of those joints and ligaments and just give you this natural leverage that a allows them to run with this effortlessness. Um, as much as, you know, we say running is just one foot in front of the other, we say that as a way to democ democratize running. And I get it. We want to open up the aperture to allow as many people into running right. as we can. And that's great. I love that. At the same time, though, it's somewhat pejorative because it's not as easy as putting one foot in. It's not as easy as putting one foot in front yeah. of the other. There's a very specific geometry uh, to running that actually differentiates it from walking. Because I would say putting one foot in front of the other is walking. Right. Running is actually jumping. So you actually look at the European languages. They have it right. Swedish, running is springa. Oh, spring. Okay. You hear spring. Yeah. Norwegian, loping, loping. German, lauf, laufing, leaping, right? The, these European cultures understand that running is actually a concatenation of jumps, right? right? Running is jumping. And it's this ability to actually put together your three leverage points of your ankle, your knee, and your hip into a spring, collapsing those three into a short lever and then extending it into a long lever is this idea of called triple extension, where you're able right. to store energy and release energy. And uh, it, it sounds complicated, but when you look at it, you know it. You can see it. There's a very different look to how a Kenyan runs yeah. because they actually look like they're springing off the ground. They're not landing. They're actually springing. Yeah. And uh, the analogy that I like to use is like a pinball machine, right? Where, you know, you know when you hit a great pinball shot because the ball spins all the way around and goes through every little nook and cranny, right? right. But you got to hit that you got to hit the pinball right on the sweet spot of the uh, of the fin and that releases the whole kinetic chain right so for running it's being able to hit right on the midfoot right and be able to flex your ankle flex your knee and flex your hip and just light up that whole kinetic chain that makes it this natural bounce that just happens, right? You don't have to force it, right? You just when you when you hit a great pinball sh pinball shot, it's not about hitting hitting it hard, pressing the button hard. It's just about hitting it right, yeah. right? So it's about landing perfectly and setting off this kinetic chain that allows you to fly. And this is what the Kenyans have mastered. And again, like this is what I I take people to Kenya and Ethiopia to just learn these see these drills happen and understand it's not just getting out of your 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 uh your door for a run actually dedicate yourself to do five minutes of these of these drills it'll send you into your run feeling so much more ballistic and 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 buoyant oh i love that i love how passionate you are about this too like i can tell i just feel the energy that you give out of like not just nutrition but just running and and this kind of stuff in general it's so cool to see
Well, totally. And a lot of this stuff too was like, I, I, I was seen as kind of like a crazy person when I used to do these drills in uh, before like five K's and 10 K's in, in, when I, when I moved back to LA, you know, I would, I had, I had all of this knowledge from right. traveling, but uh, being in Australia, traveling in Kenya, seeing these runners. And I would do, you know, 30 minutes of these drills, A skips, B sips, skips, C skips. You, you've seen these drills. Yeah. Well, cause now you go on Instagram and they and all of these are being shared. So now it's actually pretty common. Like yeah. it, this has started to people have started to recognize that this is very important piece of the run. But back when I was doing it, they were like, "Who is this crazy guy <laughs> doing like looking like the Sprocket? Yeah. You know, looking like an episode of Sprockets, which like was a SNL skit of like bouncing around yeah. up and up and down, right? But it makes sense, right? It's uh, again, it's a running is a movement skill, and yeah. I think for me, it's yeah, I love that we're bringing people into into running, but I think we we've got to be able to uh, to really empower runners, right? Get them to under get get a runner to understand the the geometry of of running, the forward lean, and giving yourself to the ground and sacrificing yourself, right? So we sacrifice ourselves kind of in that that physical way, but also that mental way. You have to like lean forward and kind of give yourself to the ground, so you're able to hit right under right. your center line of body weight to be able to run. We're kind of tentative in putting the foot out in front of us, which creates a breaking force. Yep. Whereas really you have to surrender and you have to literally fall forward and let yourself go to let yourself happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I got my running form analyzed. I'm sure you've done that several times and I learned so much from that. Surprisingly, they said my form was like generally good, but even like there's just so many small little tweaks you can make here or there. That's like over the course of a marathon, that you know, that 1% little change in your gait can, I mean, that could be minutes off of a marathon. If you, you know, stack a bunch of those on top of each other, it's like, that's huge gains you can make just not even from like a fitness standpoint, but just your mechanics, which is, it's so cool. Yeah. You're doing, uh, you're doing 20,000 jumps instead of 50,000 jumps, right, right? right? That's so cool. What is, uh, what was your all time? Mar well, actually, before we go into that, yeah. um, so after you lived in Kenya, you did the, the marathon there, um, where did you go from there? Did you continue running and, and pursuing that, that passion of, uh, like, were you a professional runner at that point? Like, what would you? Semi-professional. Okay. I mean, every runner wants to call themselves a professional right. runner, right? Yeah, I, I was sponsored by a <laughs> shoe brand. And no, I, I, I always picture myself in a heroic light of being like a, a sponsored athlete, uh, you know, full, full, full tier. But no, I was, you know, I, I, I worked full time um, as a teacher. Um, I got out of teaching and actually got affiliated with uh, Nike Retail actually in Australia for the kind of latter part of my years in Australia. So I moved from Canberra ultimately to the Gold Coast of Australia. And if you know about the Gold Coast, it's the exact opposite of right. Canberra. <laughs> it's the beach. It's the Sheila's. It's the shrimp on the babby. It's all of those. It's all of those things. So I got best of both worlds ultimately. That's awesome. So yeah, I, I actually ended up um, becoming Queensland champion. Uh, so Queensland is the state um, where the Gold Coast is. Um, I was Gold Coast champion, Queensland champion uh, um, uh, for two years. So I was a, uh, the fastest Queensland runner for that uh, for, for that race two years. This is the row, marathon actually, distance? Yeah, for Gold 
Gold Coast Marathon. So okay. this is actually a pretty pretty popular marathon yeah. um, globally, and might even be fighting for one of the world major spots because they're looking at bringing a new world major into the mix. Australia is definitely in the running. So it's how Sydney might be one. Yeah, it's probably going to be Sydney because Sydney is a bigger city. Um, but right. Gold Coast is a really flat, fast marathon. So if you're looking for a flat, fast marathon and yeah. want to go down under, um, <laughs> try the try the Gold Coast. But yeah, that's where I lived out my days, and I think at that point it was 2006 end of 2006 I'd come back from Kenya and I felt like I'd reached kind of my karmic purpose with Australia um what was, was your all-time marathon PR before you go too far so 221 in the in the marathon and that actually happened in Los Angeles when I came back oh, from okay. my time in Australia okay. so I did not run my fastest times in, in Australia but I'll tell you why yeah because I um I'm not a marathon runner and but I think in in running lore you the real the events that only have equity that people only want to hear about is the hundred the mile and the marathon right right right? i was a very effective five i i rate myself as a good 5k 10k and half marathoner but nobody cares about those events so i had i had good personal bests in in the 5k 10k and marathon but you know in in half but since nobody cares about those, you naturally have to move up to the marathon, you know, to get trips to places and get people to talk about you and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I think to be an effective marathoner, you actually have to be a really good 1500, 3k, 5k, 10k runner, because again, it's getting efficient with your geometries and your foot contact time at these shorter events so that ultimately you become more efficient and economical in the longer events, right? Because if a, if you can make a uh, if you can run fast for a fifteen hundred sub four minutes for that, then a five minute mile seems actually feel feels right. pretty easy, right? Yeah. And you can kind of sustain a five twenty pace in perpetuity. So uh, I know a lot of runners just want to immediately jump to the marathon, but I always say to them, "What's your five k PB? What's your ten k PB? Oh, I've never run them before." Well, Hey, uh, you gotta you gotta get fast at these these yeah. these distances to and Kipchoge showed us that right of you know winning in Paris as an eighteen year old in um, just under thirteen minutes for the five k you know that's so that that's what gives him the two yeah. hour twenty that the, the two hour the two hour speed and I would say the same for the world record that happened in Berlin this year with the with Tigist Asefa. she's an eight hundred meter runner she ran one fifty nine in the eight hundred oh, wow. right so. That 159 speed translates to a 211 in marathon. So there's definitely a correlation there that shouldn't yeah. be ignored. And I think, too, it just it, it allows you more longevity in the sport, too, because you're not killing yourself week after yeah. week to achieve these high mileage levels. You can, you know, when you're when you when you have good 5K, 10K and good mechanics at those at those distances, you're more durable yeah. over the long runs. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's so weird how like you said the 5k 10k half marathon don't really have that like allure that the marathon the mile that those have it's so so strange because in my opinion i think a 5k is so much harder than a, than a mile obviously it's you know three times the distance but um it's near your marathon pace but three times the distance it's like i think it's or, or, sorry mile pace i mean um yeah it's so interesting what was your favorite event out of out of all those was it the 5k I love the 5K because I was a huge fan of Steve Prefontaine. I okay. love that. I watched that movie without limits uh, that uh, I don't know if you're. I you're, haven't uh, seen that. Yeah, you got to see it. It's a, it's a must. Um, so Billy Crudup plays Steve okay. Prefontaine. Monica Potter plays his girlfriend. Donald Sutherland plays Bill Bowerman, the the, the coach that went on to yeah. help co-found, co-found Nike. 
Um, yeah, Tom Cruise actually produced it. Tom Cruise is actually oh, a very good runner. Interesting. And so he put a lot of production money be- behind it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, great, great movie. I mean, yeah, my generation really obsessed with Steve Prefontaine and he right. was the 5k runner that, uh, went to the Munich Olympics, finished fourth, but put himself out on the line to take, to take gold. Right. Um, so yeah, 5k was, uh, was kind of my pet event. 10k I was, I was good at. I really enjoyed half marathon too, because you know, it's, you're just getting to that pain point and then, and then it kind of stops, but you just feel enough suffering. That's a fun distance. Yeah. And it doesn't require so many training miles either. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, is Kelvin Kiptum a a modern athlete? Uh, he's, we're (laughs) trying. Yeah. Yeah, you know not yet. We don't. We never say no at Morton. We say we we say not yet. We've definitely. We, yeah. Um. We're. We, let's say that Morton is obviously trying to affiliate itself with the yeah. with the top athletes. And yeah, we've we're we're working with we're working with Kelvin. Um. And yeah, trying to yeah see what we can do further to help yeah. him break through to even bigger limit big, uh, past um even uh bigger goals. Do you know what he fueled with for Chicago? Yeah, so he uh, he he he's he he did do Morton. Um, my understanding is that he took a lot of caffeine gels, and uh, and and uh, um, even used uh, our bicarb system oh, to wow. um, actually um, help him help him fuel in the race too. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you guys are really hoping to get him on because Kipchoge is a Morton athlete, correct? Yeah. Kipchoge is a Morton athlete. We've, we've been working with Kipchoge since the breaking two project and yeah, he's, um, yeah, always been fantastic advocate for, for us and, um, just a great ambassador for, for, for the sport. Right. I mean, anytime you have the world record marathon holder as an athlete, that's gotta be huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a good segue into Morton. Um, so, uh, came back to the U S continued running and you coached and, and taught a little bit when you came back. Um, and then you joined Nike, right? I did. So I had been working for Nike, uh, in Australia and then we had able, was okay, able right. to parlay right. that into a Nike job in Los Angeles. And ultimately that then brought me up to Portland as well, where I live today. So yeah, I've been, I, I did, I, I did 15 years of Nike, some of that in Australia, some of that in LA, and then some of that in, uh, um, in Portland. And what was your main role with Nike for those 15 years? I mean, I was a Swiss army knife there too, but, um, I'm, 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 as, as you've kind of heard us talk, I'm somebody that's very big on premium experiences. So yeah. I was, uh, involved in retail experiences primarily physically at first. So working in stores and working to deliver great experiences for customers. Um, because yeah, sh- um, shopping, as I said, shopping for, for footwear is not as easy as just size nine, please. Right. right. There's, there's, um, you had your gate analyzed, right? And so there's there's so many pieces to it, but how do you simplify it, right? And how do you meet somebody where they're at with the level of knowledge that they're at and not overcomplicate it? And yeah. that's a challenge, right? Because the performance space can be intimidating. And so how do you make it really digestible? And that was really my role to create physical experiences at retail that allow a customer to understand, like, how should a shoe fit? How should a shoe feel? Um, ultimately, 
how do I get it? How do we get it on their foot fast enough uh, so that they're experiencing it? Because you can only talk about innovation so much. You need to experience it. And I think a lot of a lot of retail um, gets involved with talking ad nauseum about features and benefits. You got to just try stuff on and start yeah. using it and jumping on the treadmill and even taking it home for a couple days to run in. And if it doesn't work out, come back, figure you know figure it out. But it's a it's an iterative process. So I had to really work through that with with Nike in a physical realm, and then I ultimately ultimately moved into the digital realm of Nike. So working on their website to try and deliver these kinds of experiences mm. digitally. So how how do you go on to Nike.com and find um, your size, your your the type of run that you're interested in doing, and how do you find how do you how do you meld those interests together to find the right right product for you? Yeah, interesting. So you've always kind of been a teacher slash coach in some regard. Like, I mean, I'd say even now as a Morton rep or, or your time at Nike, like you're educating, you're teaching either the retailer or a consumer about the product, right? Like, it seems like you've just got a passion for like that teaching and coaching. Is that, is that accurate? That's my source code. I, I'm an athlete, a teacher and a coach. I love that. So you were at Nike for 15 years. Um, and then where did you go after Nike? What uh, what made that what sparked that transition from from Nike? Sure. So uh, Nike, like Australia, outlived its karmic purpose for me. I got sent a sign when my wife, actually, who also works for Nike, got the opportunity to go to Berlin um, for a territory role for Nike to work at the Berlin office. Mm. I was not offered a position, and you know what? I said that's okay. It's time to leave Nike and just kind of take some time to rediscover myself, go through another renaissance, yeah. right? So I think you have jobs in your life, you have careers in your life, but then you have callings as well, right? So um, I needed some time to find my calling. And so this was an opportunity to go to Berlin and, and as we said, get out of the comfort zone, go to uh, go to another uh, place, see how another uh, uh, see how others live. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was unemployed for, uh, a for the first six months of, uh, living in Berlin, which was, which, which was challenging, but not, but not, um, in any way a negative because yeah. it allowed me again to explore what my passions are in teaching. So I actually got a job in teaching, oh, nice. um, at a German, uh, at a German private school, what they call gymnasium. So this is uh, the uh, like the the uh, like a private school where kids are really like um, academically focused, sport focused. So oh, I nice. did. I was the sport teacher. The Germans <laughs> are very literal, so yeah. we call it PE, right? right? Physical education, and it's kind of all encompassing. The Germans are no, it's sport. Yeah, oh, we do sport. Awesome. So yeah, <laughs> your accents are so good, Mr. By the Livingston. Way. <laughs> are we doing sport today? Yes, we're doing we're we're doing we're we're doing sport. Did you yes. have to learn uh, German? Or sorry, did I'm, you did you get to learn German? Did I get? Uh, yes, <laughs> ein bisschen. Yes. So there's only a couple phrases you need to learn in German to get by, and they are genau, which is exactly, um, natürlich, of course, and uh, stimmt. I agree. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, I'd like to say I, I learned a little bit more than that. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's great because, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I got to discover my calling again. I yeah. loved, I, I love teaching. I was able to take that teaching credential that had kind of been dormant, um, from my years in Australia and yeah. reinvigorate it. So the German authorities were actually able to like reinst reinstitute my teaching credential. So oh, wow. yeah, I mean, if I want to teach again, I've, I've got a, a valid credential, That's awesome. credential again. 
Dang, yeah, Germany is such a cool place. We visited uh, a little bit over a year ago. That's definitely one of my favorite places I've been. Where'd you go? Uh, we were in Munich, and then we spent uh, a few days in the Black Forest. Uh, I think it's like Baden-Baden. Yeah. Uh, that area, like the southwest of Germany. Um, yeah, Germany is so cool. We spent a few days in Switzerland and Austria too, but Germany, like the Germans at first seem so kind of standoffish and a little cold, but then once you start talking to them, they're so nice. They are. They're coconuts. We yeah. Call, yeah. Hard <laughs> yeah. on the outside, soft on the inside. Um, they're thinkers too. Yeah. And I appreciate that about the, the Germans because they're very thoughtful um, and yeah, very, very intentional. And that's, that, that, that's great. At the same time though, being a thinker sometimes diminishes your ability to dream. So they're thinkers, but not dreamers. Yeah. And so um, as a runner, you probably know this too, is um, you, when you, when you run, you can kind of eavesdrop on people's conversations because you run by them and you get a three second glimpse into their life, right? right. You, you hear people walk, walking by you and, oh, um, Priya's got a job, but not a job job. Or, you know, you hear, you hear these kinds of uh, sound bites that, that resonate with you. And in Germany... Nine times out of 10, when I would run by uh, a, a couple talking, I'd hear the words, ya aba, which means yes, but. Mm. And that defines the German culture where it's a yes, but it has, it, it has to be challenged, right? And so as much as that's, that's great, that sometimes limits a conversation and stultifies a dream and, right. and, 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 and creates a barrier to what can be. Americans are a yes and culture. So yeah. we would be, <laughs> ja und, yes and. The Germans are, yeah, but. Oh, and so it's, it's a very, there's, that's I think the key difference be, between us. And you need both, right? Yeah. You, need to, you need to be able to have a dream and go after it and be ambitious. But also you need to have that and you need to have that caution uh, as as well to make sure that you're yeah. sometimes going slow to go to go fast. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's and, and, and that's a lot of what Morton is. And that's what helped me to, you know, really understand Morton, too, because a lot of the European cultures are somewhat like that as well. It's not just Germany. Um going slow to go fast. Whereas yeah. I think, you know, we're very much of a different mentality, fail fast, move fast, yeah. Zuckerbergian, break things, right. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of our, our culture. Yeah. And so I've, yeah, I, I've had the fortunate ability to travel uh, the, the world and see yeah. these different paradigms and find a Goldilocks That's so for, cool. for, for my life. So yeah, we did, we did two years in Berlin. We what would year have done, was this? This was 2020 to 2021. So COVID. Oh, okay. Nice. And that's what, and that's what ultimately brought us back because I think we would have loved to have stayed in Berlin. It's such an accessible city. It's yeah. very, uh, for a global city, extremely affordable, extremely accessible. The greatest bread you've ever had. You can get a bread roll, you get a, a brochen, a brochen. For twenty cents, right? There's so much bread over oh there. Oh my god, it's there's so, so much good. Bread. It's so good. It doesn't make you feel like the bread does here either. No, it like you can eat so much of it and you feel just fine. Yeah, you're just floating on bread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it. Yeah, it. We would have loved to have stayed because it's central too. Berlin is so central to everywhere in Europe. So we would have loved right. to have been there for you know longer. Two 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 years wasn't wasn't enough. But that COVID happened. My wife was really relegated to working from home in her off uh, working working from home. So that's not a real international experience if you're kind of sequestered at home. So. Right. Um, she was uh, lucky enough to be able to find a job back at Nike in Portland. And so in 2021, we moved back.
back. And that's when I started at Morton. Nice. And how did you get linked up with Morton uh, initially? So it's funny because all roads all, uh, invariably collide, as you know, and right. come. And, and a lot of my life was with Nike, and so are many others. So um, the head of uh, global sales for Morton was the former sales head at Nike. Oh, and so I had met him in Berlin at Nike, and then he had moved over to Morton, and he told me that he was building the North America organization up. So um, Morton had been initially um, just based in Europe, and uh, distributing out to the U.S. market, but no direct representation. Mm -hmm. And so wanted to have a few representatives, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. Ultimately, we'd have one in Central as well. But uh, yeah, to um, start working with our our retailers that we were distributing to, to really start moving the needle with Morton as a brand. So um, I, yeah, serendipitously was able to, yeah, reconnect, yeah, reconnect on that front and, and, yeah, become the, the West Territory market lead. So I see every Everything from Hawaii to Texas. Oh wow! Yeah. What uh? What year was Morton founded? Do you know? Uh, so twenty fifteen, sixteen. Okay. You you can kind of think about it at the time of like the Breaking Two project with Elliot Kipchoge. That's kind of like how we came okay. into um came into the world. How we were kind of born. We'd been we've been um around prior to that. Um but yeah, that's where we kind of got our our yeah. our name established. And the, the Breaking 2 project was that the one where he ended up uh doing it in was that Valencia? Uh no, so that was actually in, uh no, so Monza okay. um was the first Breaking 2 project with Nike. It was called Breaking 2 okay. and they did it on a Formula 1 Monza track okay. in Italy. I watched and a documentary for that one. It's a great documentary. It's so good. Uh, uh, um, National Geographic did did it. It's a great documentary. Um, watch it at any level. Again, you understand yeah. the road run mentality versus the right. fun run <laughs> right. mentality, right? So, um, yeah, that's how that that was the first project. And then you know, Elliot says the world is only twenty five seconds away, right? And so he had run two twenty five. He did not break the he did not break the two hour barrier, but. Essentially, we knew it was possible, right? right? And so Elliot wanted to really, um, you know, sanctify it and get it done. And so he he was able to replicate the effort in Vienna. Yeah. Um, I want to say a year and a half or two years later. I yeah. can't remember exactly when the the Ineos uh, project right. was. That one was called One Fifty Nine or something, and that okay. was the Vienna one on the circuit. Same kind of same kind of science and research at play, though, of wind tunnel pacing, fueling. Right. Right. So uh, he's been a, a Morton athlete basically since the the Breaking Two project. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, and 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 this was something where like he really became an, a natural advocate for us because he saw that it worked. Right? right. And that's what I love about Morton is that you know we're not a product focused company, we're a problem focused company, and we we fo- we solved the problem. Right? How do you get somebody to burn carbohydrates at a very high rate? without gastrointestinal distress, right? right? And we had cracked this code, found this holy grail with our hydrogel, right? Oh, there it is. There it is. I'm actually- You're always stocked up. I'm always stocked up. Who wore it better? If you're watching this, I'm holding the the gel 100, calf 100 caffeine, which is white, and I've got a white jacket on. So it's one of those Instagrams, who wore it better? But here, I I need, you got to get over your your, your, your 330-itis. So I'm going to give you a a gel there. Um, Should I take yeah. it now? 
Why not? I might be yeah, wired. Yeah, what yeah, I, I just yeah. don't do caffeine past save, noon. Save it, okay, for, okay. save it for a zone three to zone five run. I, mean, I got 100K on Saturday. I so. love it. So let's kick it. <laughs> let, let's 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 kick off the run with that. And then let's microdose okay. with 100 milligram doses of caffeine throughout it. Let's but I, it. I give you that because that's our te- that's our technology. That's yeah. our hydrogel, which is which solves a problem, right? We're encapsulating sugar inside of a gel so it's not touching the stomach acid and it's going quickly to your intestine where it can be oxidized right so you aren't what you eat this refrain is not correct you are what you oxidize your tech when you're in the stomach you're not the body so we got to get out of the stomach and into the intestinal tract where we can actually deliver that energy to working muscles so that's hard um when you just have a free-floating sugar in your stomach that requires mucus and blood to come to that stomach and digest and right. digest it. And when you're trying to run with your arms moving up and down, you're getting that jostling, you're hearing it, you're feeling it. It's not comfortable. Um, so we've found a vehicle. We found an Uber to be able to trap that sugar and put it and and put it right into the intestine where you can get it essentially twenty one in twenty one yeah. minutes. That and that's um, definitely something I want to talk about is the the timing. Uh, I was talking to, to Dominic the other day, uh, Dominic Schleter from The Running Effect, and he said, definitely talk to, to Brian about this because the Morton timing, it's like 21 minutes, like you just said, for your body to be able to process it and utilize it as opposed to whatever the alternative is. It takes, An hour. It's like right? double the time yeah. or triple the time, yeah. right? And it, it's just because of the delivery method, that the way that it gets into your stomach. Is that, that right? basically what you just explained? Yeah, the Kenyans call it the magic drink, and it kind of is, uh, and and kind of is magic because what we're what what's happening is is this gel is tricking the stomach into thinking that it's water. In fact, you look at the ingredients on the gel, and the first ingredient is water, right? right? So the stomach thinks it's water, and what happens when the stomach has water in it? You it makes you want to go to the bathroom, right? And so it it, it triggers um, and cues the yeah. intestine to to start to open and start to um, absorb those, those carbohydrates. So you have a very quick gastric emptying rate with Morton because it's tricking the stomach into thinking that it's water. Interesting. And so you're get, you're getting that energy so much quicker. Um, and, uh, that's what you need at these higher intensities, right? So at the lower intensities, um, zone one, zone two, right? At these, uh, at these kind of, uh, um, uh, somewhat sub-threshold intensities, you rely a lot more on fat, um, but when you're in an oxygen-poor environment at these higher intensities, you can't run on fat. Or you can run on fat, but you can't run fast on fat. Right. Carbohydrates become king at that point. And so you've got to be able to find a quick way to shuttle those carbs, um, and Morton really has delivered the holy grail to be able to do that because we're giving you those carbs protected um, and quickly and cleanly too, yeah. because you look at our ingredients, you know, we're not, we're not flavors, we're not colors. So these typical acids that have to be added, um, yeah. are absent in this. It's and, all natural, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And is the, is the hydrogel, is that like a proprietary thing where we, it's like the secret ingredient that only Morton knows basically? Not necessarily. Hydrogel has actually been in the food and pharmaceutical industry for the better part of 40 years. Oh, wow. um, and so it's it's funny because Morton is named after a guy named Morton. 
Oh, I never and, knew that. I've always and, wondered where, where the name comes from. Well, yeah. The first thing I have to teach people is how to pronounce it, right? Because people say, is it Martin? Is it Morton? So um, Morton is actually spelled M-A-R-T-E-N, but there's a uh, there's a ring over the A. We call that a Kreuzig. I just learned this the other day, but it's like an accent um, that's unique to the Swedish language oh, um, okay. where that A... When you, when you, uh, it actually sounds in English like or, O-A-R. So when you see that A, that's actually pronounced O-A-R. So there are Martins in Sweden, but there are also Mortons in Sweden that look like a Martin because they have the A, but it has this ring uh, over it. Okay. But here's the challenge, Jeremy. When you're doing a web domain, right. you can't use a Kreuzig. You can't have a ring in in your lettering. So we had to find a way to give Morton credit for the company by, by sounding out his name, M-A-U-R-T-N, to create that O-A-R sound. And is Morton the um, – is he like one of the founders of the company or is that the whoever created the hydrogel technology or who is that? He's one of them. So okay. he and Olaf, our current CEO, our, our CEO is uh, are the founders of, of, of Morton and together – um, they discovered for through pharmaceutical science, because that's where they both come from. Oh, okay. Dr. Morten Freikos is in cancer delivery drugs from Uppsala University in, in Sweden. Sweden is a big research culture. Yeah. Um, and so uh, um, they had um, seen how hydrogel had been effective in transporting medicine to the guts of sick patients. Well, mm -hmm. is there an unlock for sports, right? And can we leverage hydrogel and patent hydrogel as a sports technique? Technology. So that's where the proprietariness is in terms of using it in the sports hemisphere. Uh, because, yeah, as I said, we want to be able to have it fast. We want to be able to have it clean. And the funny story is, is that Dr. Morton um, goes to the dentist one day and the dentist says to him, you're an endurance athlete, aren't you? And he says, yeah, how did you know? He says, you got horrible teeth. You got tons of cavities. From years of drinking and consuming sugary gels right. and, and, and sugary drinks. And he said, there's got to be a better way to deliver sugar that doesn't touch the teeth and doesn't touch the stomach. My dentist so, asked me that same thing like three months ago. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. What's with your teeth? The IOC, right. the International Olympic Committee, actually identifies oral health as one of the um, biggest problems for athletes worldwide. They don't have the dental care that we, we have in a lot of other, other nations. And a lot of these athletes struggle with all kinds of dental issues that have knock-on effects to all kinds of inflammation throughout the body. Um, so if you can regulate the, the biofilm environment of the mouth and the stomach through, you know, neutral pH neutral types of products like Morton, you can, um, mitigate the cavities and also the gastrointestinal distress. Yeah. So we're protecting the teeth. We're protecting the stomach. I know people love flavors and colors and all that kind of stuff, but you can be a party in the mouth, yeah. but you're going to be a hangover in the stomach. Right? right. And Morton is trying to really be the solve to that too. You know, we're not about flavor. We're about function. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the priority. It should be the priority. Uh, I think unfortunately a lot of supplement brands and, and nutrition products prioritize flavor and like the experience rather than the actual outcome or the performance aspect, which is unfortunate. Um, but I mean, that's what makes you guys stand out even more. Spot on. Because that gives us a lane yep. to be able to uniquely live in and deliver a win, yeah. right? So 
and Morton's not a fuel for 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 everybody. We get that people want flavors and you know uh, and 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 colors. Where that's 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 not where we want to play. We want to be unapologetic about function over flavor. We're really that performance fuel for that runner that wants to run at those higher intensities, zone three to zone five, where carbohydrates are king. Yeah. Right. And we need to be unapologetic about that. We Morton doesn't just deliver a performance product, but also a vision of what it means to be an athlete. Right. We really want to encourage runners to break out and and break through right and and so competition it shouldn't be a a, a a negative term and thought of as an intimidating thing when we actually break down the the etymology of um, an athlete of what an athlete is right an athlete is from Greek ath Co- uh, compete lon for prize compete for prize so an athlete competes for a prize and what's compete when you break down compete it's co uh, with and patere aim aim mm. with so this idea of aiming with somebody to make yourself better to go for a prize there shouldn't be anything wrong with that right, right. and and so i want performance um you know it's sometimes thought of as kind of only for the elites right and and I'm not an athlete, right? And that I, I don't want to be thought of in that way. I, it's elitist, right? I want. I think we need to come back to a really rudimentary understanding of what an athlete is and what it means to compete. It's a, what it is is it's just about challenging yourself right. to be to be better than you were the day before, and that's where Morton really wants to be. It wants to be a fuel that's, you know, taking that participatory mindset and changing it into a competitive yeah. mindset. I love that. I, I have to tell athletes that I coach, I got to remind them of that. I have to remind myself of that even sometimes. It's like, I'm not running Olympic trials times. I'm not, you know, winning a marathon, uh, at least not for the foreseeable future, but I am, I'm still doing a marathon. I'm still running, you know, 10, 15 hours a week and people I'm coaching are still doing these long events. Uh, but even though you're not like running those times, you're still competing with yourself. You're still like, your body's still going through the same thing. It's just, might take you a little bit longer or, you know, the outcome's going to be a little bit different, but you're still going through the same process, which I think is an important thing to know. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and you compete with yourself and be frank with me. You compete with other people too. A you little want, bit. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see some, you, 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 you see somebody, uh, coming up in, into your, your view and you get a sniff of them. You want to pass them. Of course. <laughs> yeah. You want to crush that mom in the stroller when you, when you <laughs> yeah. run, when you run past her. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, be unapologetic about that that's great okay, you know enough. yeah I, because the other side of this too is running is also a meditation so i i you know paula radcliffe who was the former world record holder for women she gave a great quote too that not every run needs to be a benchmark to something bigger and better there's beauty in just a run and so i love that too but i think again for me like uh i that there there's a there's a piece of of that running but for me i think what really makes running special is the competitive right. aspect of it. challenging your challenging yourself yeah. to really sacrifice right? right it's not the fun run road race <laughs> yeah. i love that uh like even with morton's marketing and like their, your approach like how you've explained how yes it's like for high performer high performing people who are like really pushing you know zone three zone four zone five heart rate uh but you don't have to be an elite athlete to do that you don't have to be you know top of the the leaderboards it's just like you can be a regular person i like to call us like people like myself life leads we're just like regular people um but again we're still doing the same thing still pushing our bodies and so that's why something like morton is like yes it can be utilized by the top athletes in the world but also you can you can be a regular person like me and still just and still utilize it 
Yeah, and don't <clears throat> fault yourself. You're not regular, right? You're, <laughs> you're, you. I think effort is effort is relative, right? Your right. zone three is different to my zone three, right. different to my wife's zone three, but it's still zone three, right? Right. So Morton unapologetically wants to serve that athlete that wants to go to zone three, and that's different and relative to everybody else. So we're not the fuel for zone one, zone two, right? We're the fuel for zone three to zone zone five. That's yeah. where we live, and we know that everyone can be in that space. It's dependent. It's dependent on on you. It's yeah. it's 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 relative. It's relative. So is the is the drink mix basically a powdered form of the hydrogel or what's the difference uh, or what are the different use cases for the drink mix as opposed to the gel? You nailed it. The drink mix is essentially synonymous okay. with the gel. The gel is the shortcut okay. of the drink mix. The drink mix turns into gel in your stomach. So we actually have this uh, video that we share where you actually see the drink mix interacting with stomach acid and immediately that. it becomes this gel. Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of uh, we, this is a learning curve for a lot of our customers because they think our drink mix is like just another scratch or Gatorade or something like that. Right. They don't understand that it's actually the gel because they'll say, oh, I love your gel, but I, I don't really know what the drink mix is and don't really know if I need that. Well, it is gel. And but I think the better question is, what's the use case for drink mix over gel? Because yep. we know that a lot of runners don't have the luxury to put a bottle out on their run or can collect one off an elite table in a marathon. So they can really only carry gels. So for these runners, we think about drink mix as a pre and post way to fuel to get your carb stores topped up before that run, after that run. So um, I'll give you a scenario. So uh, my long run in the morning, um, it takes me about 30 minutes to drive out to it. So I'll have a normal breakfast and I and always lead with food, right? So right. we're not robots. I don't get up in the morning and start hammering gels like Kiptum. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the hey, it works for, works for him. I, there might be an insight there, but I like real food, right? Yeah. So I like to have a bagel. I like to have some oatmeal, but I'll do that like three hours before. Well, I'll like, uh, I'll, I'll give my baby a bottle. Um, I have a daughter um, and I'll give I'll give her her bottle and, you know, I'll spend a little bit of time in the morning, you know, reading and, and I like to have a normal breakfast, but that's three hours beforehand, right? So I'm letting that digest. I'm going to the bathroom three times. And so by the time I get in my car though, um, you know, I've had that good baseline of carbohydrate, but it's really then about kind of topping yourself up, um, and, and kind of priming yourself. So on the, on the ride in the car, I'll fill my bottle with the drink mix 160 or 320, um, to give myself carbs just to sip on, to kind of just stimulate that, yeah. that, that carbohydrate kind of uh, burn cycle um, so that um, when I get to the long run, I'm kind of feeling jonesy, right? Because yeah. I've been consuming, you know, a, a, a monosaccharide sugar, right? So I'm, I'm kind of jonesing. I'll take actually a, a gel right before my long run yeah. in the caffeinated version to really jumpstart the, jumpstart the engine. Yeah. And then maybe I've just drinking half of the bottle. And then when I get back from the run, I'm pretty depleted on my on my carbs. I fueled well and there's probably a little bit left over from the gels I've been taking, yeah. but nothing better than to just sip on drink mix coming home in the car so that when I get home, I'm not hangry, I'm kind of level-headed, I'm hydrated as well. 
Um, so, you know, I don't make an impulsive decision when I get home to eat something like a tired athlete would, you know, right. overindulging in something or eat, eating, eating to excess to try to satiate myself. You can get a sa nice satiation quality by just kind of drinking some drink mix to just replenish those carb stores. So think about it as a pre and post and also as a hydration solution as well, especially in the drink mix 160, which is a little less saturated in carbs because you think you morton remember our 160 right. uh, uh these numbers are calories and you divide by calories to get uh divide by four in the calories to get the carbs yep. so 160 divided by four is 40 you get 40 grams of carbs in the 160 80 grams of carbs in the 320 well the 320 is a little bit more viscous mm -hmm. and more fuel focused and the 160 is more hydration focused so if it's a really hot day I'm taking Drink Mix 160 in the car. I'm sipping on that. And then if I'm ever doing track intervals, I like the idea of kind of those longer recovery day, uh, longer recoveries between reps. I'll leave my bottle at the 400 mm. meter mark and kind of just sip on Drink Mix throughout the session. And it just kind of keeps you tuned in and yeah. not kind of, you you feel it, right? You really, you, 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 you turn yourself into a carbohydrate burning machine. And so yeah. this is you have to train your body to do this because the, natu the, the natural inclination of the body is to burn fat because that's what we have the most of. And, and, and a lot of runners actually think that, oh, I should be a fat-adapted athlete, right? And, and because I've got lots of fat and I might as well run on that. Right. The problem is, is fat doesn't shuttle as fast as carbs. It takes six times as long. So you can run on fat, but you can't run fast on fat. Yeah. So even for the ultra runs, turn yourself into a carb adjusted athlete you're going to run so much faster you're going to right. recover so much better because carbs really give you that that energy quickly and allow you to get that energy back quickly for repair yeah even the the like low carb runners that i know I, i'm not sure if you're familiar with mike mcknight his instagram is the low carb runner uh his like the bulk of his training uh and his like daily life he eats like ketogenic low carb but then during races uh he relies on uh, carbs because it's like it's like at that point it's like jet fuel basically it's like it's like nitrous oxide because his body's so used to using fat and i don't know i mean this works for him i don't know the actual science behind all this but um i think he incorporates a little bit of the carbs maybe during his like longer training runs and stuff so he, his body's still used to using carbs if he needs to but uh i think when he gets to the races he's like pure carb burning uh but he i don't know how this works again i'm not i'm not a scientist or anything but i think you can almost kind of do both at the same time is that right where you can burn a little bit of fat plus carbs or are you either one or the other I don't, I don't know if you know that but from what i know with him he uses the carbs as like a boost but he also kind of can rely on that fat adaption like as a as a backup almost i don't if that makes sense you are right there's merit to both so the, but i would say it needs to be very periodized right mm -hmm. because it, it is it is a zero-sum game for the body. Oh, you okay. either are a fat-adapted athlete or a carb-adapted athlete. So there has to be a transition at some point because something's got to give. If you if you become a fat-adapted athlete, it's at the expense of becoming a carb-adapted athlete, right? right? So uh, runners like your your friend need to be very intentional to say, for my preseason and bulk and, and base phase, I'm going to become fat-adapted. But then... You got to drop that and then say, now it's time to go right. full carbs and try to get yourself off that fat ad adaptation to really become carb, carb right. adapted. But you are right. There is merit to this idea of trying to create kind of a, a more 
by, by being somewhat starved of carbs, you can essentially create an impetus to be somewhat more absorbent of it. Science is still kind of fuzzy on it. Um, but I think there's, there's, there's some merit to this idea of, you know, you starve something and you, right. you create a vacuums for when, you know, that, the, that, that energy comes in. Um, I would say safely for any athlete that wants to train at a high intensity level, carbs, right? Yeah, of course. Right. Don't, don't try to fast run. Don't, don't do fasted yeah. runs. Really dedicate yourself to learning how to digest carbs and you're going to, you're going to yeah. burn them, right? right. You're going to burn them more effectively. Cause I think people are gun shy to be like, Oh, whatever I don't burn turns into fat and yeah. all, all <laughs> that. But you know, if you're making a commitment to train at these intensities yeah. and really, you know, be, be in these zone three to zone five zones, you know, two to two to three times a week. Right. Yeah. You need to be, you need to be a carb adapted athlete. Yeah. And again, Morton's not, this is not for everybody, right? There are some athletes that don't yeah. want to be at those intensities and they just want to go out and run like Paula Radcliffe that said to not have a better, bigger, better benchmark to anything. And a run is just, you know, kind of my 30 minutes a day of meditation. That right. doesn't require fueling. Yeah. We don't want that to require fueling. I don't want to tell runners to make a sale to say, yeah, take a gel for your 45 minute run right. in zone one, zone two, when, yeah, the, you're utilizing fat, so yeah, those 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 carbs they will get stored and and ultimately if they're not used they will turn into they will turn into fat. So right. you got to be a fit for purpose. We 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 are very fit for purpose. We 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 we're unapologetically carbs. Like <laughs> I I keep saying that. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to but to really ram it home to say yeah we, we're. We're um, really trying to move the needle and trying to get people to understand the value of carbs and that they can do more than they previously thought they had. Because we used to think that the upper limit of how much carbohydrate we could take. So when I was at the Australian Institute of Sport, um, we thought it was 60. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we discovered that it's actually 90, you know, yeah. and now we actually know that we can go to 120. Oh, really? Yeah. But our, our, and uh, our, our mantra at Morton, our slogan is get used to it. So it's kind of cheeky. Uh, for us though, it's this idea of get used to training with carbs, train yeah. your gut, just like you train your, uh, everything else to take on carbohydrates and, and, and nutrition has really become a third pillar in performance, right? You have tech, you have training and you have nutrition now. And so we really want to be the crown jewel in the nutrition piece for that athlete that is in that zone three to zone yeah. five space. Yeah. I, I think I should have uh, prefaced Mike, the, the low carb runner. He, he does like 200 mile races. So he's like, yeah. he's probably never in above zone two, I would imagine. And so that's probably why the that more kind of hybrid approach would work for him, I would imagine. Right. And I would argue that he does, he does burn carbs ultimately because right. there, there, there is a contribution at that point because he, there's points at which he goes uphill. And even right. though he's running in zone two, his heart is actually in zone three, zone four. So his right. body does draw on carbs. And so there's something called a crossover effect yeah. where as the intensity increases, fat dials down, carbs dial up. So yeah. they're always kind of working in concert with each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, they, they, yeah. That's uh, yeah. that's kind of how that works. Yeah, I've heard him talk about that ex explicitly, like where he said he tried pure keto, like pure fat burning, and no carbs. And he said he like when he'd go uphill, that exact thing. He said he, he had no push because he no push. he had no carbs available. Right. Um, and I'm sure you're familiar with like Zach Bitter. Uh, he he at one point had like the American or might have been the world record for fastest hundred miles. Okay. Um, and he's basically the same approach. Uh, again, ultra runner, so it's a little bit maybe more complicated between the fat, but he's more fat adapted. 
uh, I think during training and all this, and then introduces the carbs leading up to the race. And then I, I don't want to speak too much for them, but um, yeah, it's so interesting. And there's, it seems like the science is pretty set on like carbs are the superior source at like zone two or zone three and yeah. above basically. Yeah. High zone two, zone five. That's where the body yeah. starts to move over, to, starts to experience this crossover effect into, right. okay, we're, 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 we're I, as I said, we're always burning both, but yeah. now it's time to really, truly over index on carbs yeah. because we're not in an oxygen rich environment anymore. When we're in zone one, zone two, we can breathe through our nose. We can talk right. and fat is a very oxidative fuel. So you have a lot of oxygen, you can burn fat. So people that want to lose weight, walk. Yeah. Right, because you're taking in all that oxygen, you're right. burning that burning that fat, right, and you're not calling on carbohydrates at a at a walk, right. So you're gonna burn fat. Yeah. But as you start to increase that as intensities, you can't breathe through your nose anymore. You're breathing through your mouth. Your <gasps> oxygen is poor. We need to sh- and and we can't shuttle fat fast. Yeah. So we have to we we have to do carbs. And this is something that's been a learning curve for me because you know we used to think of bonking as kind of a rite of passage in my days of you know running around the turn of the century. Yeah. You know you kind of said oh I bonked, but you know what I didn't drop out right. I I had about eight minutes of dizziness and then uh my, and then you know your body then transitions to fat because you're out of carbohydrates, you're out of muscle glycogen at that point, so you transition to fat. So um, a lot of people drop out because they can't handle that transition. But um, a good runner should be a, a good runner should be able to kind of uh, narrow down that window of discomfort yeah. into like a four minute chunk to then come out of it and then run on fat. Mm-hmm. And so the the old school of thought was learn learn how to run fast on fat. And so my marathons were always kind of bittersweet because I go out at a fast pace, but I could never run a negative split. And I could, and I felt like I could finish marathons strong, but I never felt like I could really finish marathons like fast, yeah. right? And because uh, I, because you're out of carbs, and so you're running on fat, and you just, and yeah, you 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 just can't you can't run as fast. But right. now that you can push levels of ninety and one hundred and twenty, and kind of create a carb burning cycle where you can burn carbs in perpetuity because you have this vehicle with Morton to be able to deliver the carbs really quickly. The body's not running out of carbs. You're con- you're constantly fueling it. So you think about topping up the tank with a drink mix to really set that baseline and then microdosing yourself with these 25 gram hits of carbohydrate every 5k. You keep yourself burning carbs in perpetuity so you never yeah. bo- you never bonk and you never kind of, you don't have to go through that rite of passage. And yeah. it's a new rite of passage of trying to run a negative split. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my first marathon I think I had like two gels and it was like, it was like goose or something terrible. Uh, I bunked so hard. It was, it's not enough. It yeah, was miserable. You only had 50 grams of carbohydrate. Yeah. If that, that honestly yeah, if that. <laughs> didn't carb load, didn't do anything right. um, remotely what I should have done. Right. So the, the gel 100, you said it's 25 grams of carbs. Yeah. So divide by hundred. Okay. Divide foot, divide, divide. And then, uh, cause there's zero protein, zero yeah. fat, right? Right. Okay. Um, and then you guys just came out with the Morton 160 not too long ago. Correct. Uh, and I use those for Chicago. Um, Great. And my main question I really want to ask you about regarding those is, uh, so like from my knowledge, the typical cadence of taking a gel is like every 30 to 45 minutes, uh, to keep those stores topped up, um, during a race. Uh, but I, I've always wondered, like, since these 160s came out, like, are you still taking that gel every 30 to 45 minutes, or can you spread it out more because you're, um, you know, you're getting you're more getting calories, more more, yeah. more carbs, so you can spread it out, or because your body can process so much more, 
should you still take them at that same cadence because you're still able to process that extra that you're getting? Love it. It's both, okay. right? Okay. It's, bo- it's both. So the athlete that is used to it, yeah, that can take on more, should take on should take on more. Okay. And so the gel 160 is designed for that athlete that needs to take on more. So the ultra runner that's often self-supported now can take on more gels per, per now can take on more carbohydrates per hour without having to carry 16 gels. They can right. carry eight gels, okay. right? Uh and then also, it, it, and then for other runners, yeah, you can you, you can you can space it out as well to um, where yeah you don't need to maybe take it every five k. You can take uh, one gel every eight k. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. So Boston for me, um, I didn't do bicarb. Everyone was like, "Are you doing bicarb at, <laughs> at at Boston?" And I said, "No, you know what? I'm doing. Uh, I that wasn't my breakthrough at Boston. Gel 160 was actually for me uh, my game changer at Boston. Because were they out yet? They, to the public? they were not. They okay. were not. But I had I, I I had I had them. Perks and, of the job. Yeah, perks of the job. <laughs> And so being able to have a gel 160, lots more carbs at the start of a race when you're at, when you're feeling great and your stomach is still really in like a really good spot, um, being able to take on lots of carbs at the early part of your race is crucial. So my recommendation for the marathoner doing that wants to do gel 160, take that at the start of the race because you can actually process all of yeah. those carbs pretty quickly and pretty efficiently. And that really sets you up for success for the whole race because then I would find that I uh, sometimes I get really frenetic in, in the marathon where it's like, where's my gel every 5k? Where's my gel every 5k? Cause I know I'm running low. I know I'm running low. But when I, but knowing that I took the gel 160, I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. It's not, it's, I, I had one gel fall out of my arm sleeve and I'm like, it's okay. I, I had the gel 160. I essentially almost had two gels. So right. it's okay. I'm going to be all right. If I, if I don't, you know, take a gel every, yeah. every 5k. So it's a nice insurance, uh, mechanism. And, uh, yeah, I, I found that that was really the game changer for me because I just felt really smooth and, and comfortable. Yeah. So I would encourage runners to think about that the same way is you want, you want to eat when you're feeling good. And then when you're not feeling, when you're not feeling good, you're, you, you know, you can, you should still take on a gel, um, right. do the gel, the smaller gel 100s that are easier to take on. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you, you just, you feel, it, um, yeah, you just feel a lot easier. It doesn't, it's not as, it's not as straining when you're, yeah. you know, nice and topped up. hundred percent. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, the bicarb actually, before I ask you about bicarb, um, caffeine versus decaf or non-caffeinated, uh, do you, I know you mentioned using caffeine at the very start of a race or very start of a, a big workout or something. Would you then want to continue, uh, say like just for me personally, like I have this hundred K on Saturday, it's going to take eight hours or so. Um, I'll probably be zoned three for most of it. Should I, would you recommend using caffeine right at the start and then continuing to, to stay topped off every gel with caffeine or, or what would you recommend there? Yeah. So we have a fuel guide actually, Jeremy, and I would oh, encourage you, you, you and your listeners to go and explore this where we actually show you on Morton.com, very clear blueprints for ultra runs on how to incorporate all of our products into ultra distances, 5Ks, 10Ks, ultra triathlons. Um, the the going research on caffeine is this idea that 100 milligrams is your price of entry. It's a cup of coffee. It's a shot of espresso. That's kind of like your price of entry. What's great about Morton is we truly measure it out, right? Because uh, a Starbucks cup of coffee is different from a Lava Atza cup, yeah. of, cup of coffee, right? You never know how much you're going to get. So 
I love to do the actual drink mix caffeine, the drink mix okay. version of the of of our caffeinated product because I can kind of sip on it like a cup of coffee right. in the morning, and that gives me a hundred milligrams. And so that's kind of like my baseline, right? That's my Morton coffee. I like that, <laughs> right? And that, and then the research shows that really, and it's and it's and it's and it's indivi- it's dependent on the individual. Um, but for those that have good tolerances for caffeine, um, really 200, 300 milligrams is really what is required to effectively uh, suppress melatonin and reduce perceived rate of exertion. So I find like 300 is sort of my sweet spot. And so for my long run of like a, a 30K long run that I would do, I will typically alternate between regular gels and caffeinated gels. So that calf gel will come at 10K and 20K, okay. right? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then right beforehand, I will have a caffeinated gel, as I said, right, um, right before the start. Cause that really jump starts the engine. So yeah. yeah. And, and same, similar, uh, corollary to this is once you're committed to caffeine, you're kind of, you, you got to stay commit. You, you got to, you got to stay on it, right? right? Because you can crash off caffeine as well. So if you are a caffeine drinker, best thing to do is to find a way to microdose your caffeine levels in this format that I was talking about and following the fuel guide to understand how you can sustain a caffeine buzz in perpetuity. Um, and without over, I think then there becomes a limit over 300. It starts to get dicey and can make you feel right. bloated and dizzy and, you know, stuff like, stuff like that. So I think there is a limit, but I think, yeah, try to, depending on your tolerance levels get to those higher levels because that's where you can really feel a breakthrough caffeine definitely has shown you know these performance enhancement yeah. um in in regard to fatigue uh, um reduction yeah i think that's i think it goes to show how important the mindset is too because caffeine obviously is from my knowledge is it's just the mental benefits because i know i've heard that it can uh increase your heart rate maybe a little bit yep. but the mental benefits will outweigh that like the two bpm or whatever it increased your heart rate by yeah yeah it is it's 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 uh reducing that perceived rate of exertion <laughs> which yeah as we know in the endurance events is really yeah. is really key um yeah and it's a good segue to talk about bicarb too yes. because we know that bicarb is primarily designed for athletes in the anaerobic space right to give them a buffering agent to buffer the muscle acidity that comes with these zone five anaerobic intensities that last you know a minute or so um in the 1500 the 800 in terms of running but there's also the the idea that the body doesn't like an acidic environment full stop mm-hmm. so the more you can mitigate the amount of muscle acidity even if it's just at a very low level you can reduce perceived rate of exertion right so we do see there it while we don't have the science to back it we do see um, definitely we do uh, uh, use cases for ultra runs where this can be taken kind of in a similar microdose capacity mm-hmm. to let to allow runners to kind of have this very good baseline of feeling um, like they can push at any time they any time they want to. So a Killian Jornet can push right. up it can push up a hill or he's actually testified to it being very effective on a downhill where at the end of, you know, nearing a hundred miles, you're so shot mentally right. that running down a hill can be extremely dangerous because you trip on a rock, you you take one false step, you know, because you're so you're you're so like loopy at that point. It's so easy to make a false step. You go head over head over heels. So um 
the ability to actually reduce that exertion and make you feel really dialed in and tuned in can uh, allow you to um, really run more effectively yeah. to that to that hundred mile mark, you know, actually finish fast, right. finish, finish strong, not finish looking like a, like a zombie. Yeah. So it's a journey. It's a journey for us to understand how we can see bicarb coming to life in both those spaces, the anaerobic space. It's clear. There's a, there's a benefit there. Um, but then, yeah, for the marathon, I think Kiptum is showing us interesting things yeah. there. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, Killian Jornet and Tom Evans who won Western States, uh, the, the yeah. former army sergeant from from great britain he's he's uh um you know just uh absolute beast and was able to win western win western states and he was doing bicarbon speaking to this testifying to this idea of um having it kind of like as his baseline yeah. of of uh feeling like yeah I, I i feel good at at my zone two zone three and if i need to go to a higher zone like i can i can push whereas what we were talking about earlier, people feel like they can't push those higher levels. So yeah. being able to kind of like have that ace up the sleeve to say, yeah, I don't feel really fatigued. And yeah, if I want to close a gap and outrun somebody, I think Tom, you know, spoke to this idea of I'm going to use bicarb very intentionally for like a 10 minute stint to do my breakaway yeah. and make that like my strategy to use bicarb to break away so that my competition never sees me again. And then I can kind of sit pretty the rest of the race. So interesting. We're studying all these things. Morton is very go slow to go fast. So you're not going to see a ton of marketing around us from bicarb um, because we are really trying to vet it with athletes, understand the, understand the testimonials. Anecdotes aren't enough, though. We have to have science right. complementary research um, complementary to that. So it's going to take a year for us to engage other uni research universities to actually show the studies on usage in anaerobic capa capability, capabilities and usage in ultra capabilities right. as well. And that's and that's what Morton and that's really what Morton wants is us to be truly vetted and validated, not just putting out a product to make a buck. Right, right. I like that. Um, so the bicarb's been like bicarb as a, a universal product has been out for a while, right? But Morton's came out. I think it was end of last year, maybe February of this year. Okay, so er, not even yeah, so less than a year old. Um, and what what do you think makes Morton's bicarb different from traditional bicarb or other styles of it uh de delivery vehicle okay. again so um the same hydrogel technology course, that we okay. use to protect sugar from touching the stomach acid we're using to protect baking soda from touching uh, the stomach so baking okay. soda is a base and when you put a base with an acid you're going to blow up right? right so we have to find a way because <laughs> that's been always been the issue with bicarb systems right right it's we know that we could very easily go into grandma's cabinet and grab out the baking soda and take a teaspoon of yeah. that and yes there are buffering capabilities to 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 mitigating the muscle acidity but tremendous gastrointestinal distress that comes from that. So it's been untenable. We haven't been able to find the holy grail to be able to deliver it into the intestine. So what hydrogel does for carbs, uh, bicarb does for baking soda, okay. this system of being able to protect these pellets in this gel so it gets timed released into the intestine to create a sustained buffering effect that has a peak 
but then maintains itself over the course of three to four hours. And so there's where we see the ca- the, right. the, 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 the interesting, interesting use cases of the ultra space. Right now, we're really focused on kind of this peak piece that can be very effective for people racing in the 800 and 1500 meters where they clearly have this window of opportunity where they can truly like mitigate all of the muscle acidity and feel like they can run uh you know an 800 in a negative split potentially right which is like unheard of right or um so uh that's that's from uh from a from an anaerobic standpoint that's clear the other piece to it, though, is what's the what about using bicarbon training, though, um, for um, the everyday um, runner that uh, is, say, training for 5Ks, 10Ks, and marathons and has one intensity session every week where they're going to an anaerobic space. As I told you, Jeremy, I think the faster you are, the more economic you are. Yeah. So I even as an ultra runner, Jeremy, at one point in the week, you need to get out and do 200-meter right. intervals. 10, 15, 20 of them at 35 second pace. You need to be able to do that. If you're able to do that, I think you're going to ultimately be a more effective ultra runner. But for that session, right, bicarb it. Because those, you're going to, you do 30 times 200, not at, not at 30 seconds or sub 30 seconds, because yeah, you probably feel like, wow, this bicarb's crazy. I want to go faster. No, do them at, do them at 35 seconds. Like I told you. Yeah but recover so much better, right? So, you know, even, yeah, do do 40 of them, right? But do them all, all at what I told you the intensity was, 35 seconds, um, uh, and recover so much better. Come off that session and be like, wow, my body didn't really feel like it was pushing. 35, 35 seconds for, the, for each 200 felt pretty easy. Tomorrow, I've got a two-hour long run planned. I can actually do some of that long run in right. zone two, zone three, zone three effort. That doesn't have to be a zone one run, whereas typically a lot of athletes are crushed after a, 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 a hard intensity session of 30 times 200. They can't come back and run a steady run the next day. So being able to have right. bicarb as kind of this weapon in your arsenal to act as a recovery agent um, can be very effective. Yeah, and I've never taken the bicarb, so it's, I've seen videos or pictures of it. So it's basically, like you said, those little pellets, essentially baking soda, yep. and then you mix it in with like a spoon, right? And then it, you eat it almost like cereal, I guess. But, like soup. Yeah, and, but instead of the milk, it's like the hydrogel essentially, right? Spot on. Okay, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, so you got this hydrogel soup of bicarbonate that's not touching the stomach. It's going into the intestine on this on this time release. And we actually give you an application when you buy bicarb that shows you when to take it, how to consume it with food to to, to help to, to shepherd it along, and uh, when it's going to peak and when it's going to give you that sustain process right. over the course of course of three hours and it comes in a box of four with the intention of that's a month's supply so think about one hard session a week by carb by carb that really hard session and then on the fourth the fourth week you race yeah so that's like our bible of performance on the fourth week he raced right so (laughs) um yeah train with it for three weeks hardest session fourth week race with it i like that yeah i I haven't done a lot of speed work because i I trained for chicago did the marathon obviously weekly speed work the big marathon workouts and stuff and then transitioning to the 100k haven't done a ton of speed work i'll do like a a light fartlek session in the middle of the week but i definitely can feel 
this is my first time doing a hundred K at like this distance. Yeah. And I was kind of experimenting with just really focusing on that zone two training. And I definitely can feel my speed dropping without doing those weekly speed sessions. And so I, I'm excited to get back into that. Let's do this. Let's try bicarb for your, yeah. for your fart, for your fart leg session. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Probably. So the race is on Saturday. I'll probably today a week off. Or yeah. Rest a little We're, bit. And yeah. then, then I'm back to it, but back to it. I'm excited to, to give that a shot. I love it. You're my performance pioneer. You're, <laughs> you're my, you're my Morton knight. There we go. <laughs> yeah. You're the white knight today with the calf gel. <laughs> I'm excited. I, I love the caffeine. I'm, tend to be pretty sensitive to caffeine too so it like for me it hits pretty well which is nice it's yeah i like to not do caffeine daily and kind of use it like very strategically which i think helps for me um but yeah do you um so you talk obviously you're super knowledgeable about running and nutrition and everything do you still race at all i do i ran boston this year okay right, right i shared my gel 160 story and did you like race race boston or did you run boston like with uh I, I race. I, I told you I'm a comp- I'm an athlete. I, I compete for a prize and I race. Absolutely. So yeah, I, 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 this was my second Boston last year when I ran Boston, I actually had COVID to 2021 oh, wow. to 2022 Boston. Yeah. I ran with COVID. Oh, wow. I didn't know I had it, but right. I knew that something was up because yeah, I, I, I finished in just a, a heap. Um, so 2023 was kind of my redemption year. And yeah, I mean, my Nirvana would be to run all the majors in yeah. under 230. Uh, the calculus changes when you have a kid. And so, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a first year dad. So look, if I can kind of find that Goldilocks between dad bod and, uh, and, 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 and Olympian, you know, that's that, that, that's where I'm at. But yeah, I'm still going to mix it out there. I'm always going to be an athlete. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to, I want to start to empower the next generation though. So, you know, my, my, I want to get, get, get back to, to Portland and take my daughter to trot cr- the cross country meet for, uh, the Nike cross nationals this weekend. Heck and yeah. yeah, start to get her to feel that performance through osmosis. I love that. Yeah. What'd you, uh, what'd you run Boston in this year? What time? I think I ran two thirty five, two thirty six. One at one of those. I, I honestly don't, don't, don't remember, but, um, I, uh, yeah, it was better than the year before where yeah. I think I just struggled to break 240 or I might've actually run 241. So yeah, I, I think I ran somewhere between 235 and 236, but I nice. finished strong. Right. That's and that's, that, that's what I wanted. That's a tough course. I, I ran Boston 2023 too. Okay. Uh, it was my first time. Um, I had a PR, which is great, but salute. it's a tough course. It is a very tough course. It's, you gotta be yeah. very strategic with the Hills. It'll eat you up if you're not. Yeah, you got to be half samurai warrior, half Buddhist monk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a balance that you have to find. Yeah, yeah. heck yeah. Would you have any other uh, races coming up? You have anything planned? Yeah, as I, I so I did a turkey trot. Uh, with uh, my my daughter nice. over over Thanksgiving, uh, we push the stroller. So yeah, I'm finding stroller races where I can uh, <laughs> where I can uh, uh, um, push the baby along, where, uh, run with my wife. That's 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 where I'm at right now. Um, yeah, I I I uh, uh, this uh, another Renaissance is going to come along, Jeremy. So I actually um, you might see that my nose is a little bit swollen. Um, I had nose surgery uh, right before coming to oh, to, to to Austin. 
Houston um, due to a boxing injury that I um, sustained oh um, back in 2010 because I took on an amateur career in boxing <laughs> uh, that deviated my septum because I got hit so much wow. in the nose and just the impact over time just completely moved my septum over to where I couldn't breathe out of my left nostril. Oh it was just God. affecting my quality of life. So I finally yeah. pulled, I finally said, yeah, I want to, I want to do this. So I, yeah, I actually had a, a five-year boxing career. So I'm just, I'm a man of many tastes. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I have a feeling something is else is going to come down the pike. It might be running. I might take up bobsledding. Uh, yeah. Anything where I'm just pushing myself out of my comfort zone, right? Is, that. is where yeah. I want to be. And how old are you now? If you don't mind me asking. I'm 45. And you're still ripping sub sub 240 marathons. That's incredible. Thanks. That's impressive. There's not many people. I mean, the only person I can think of, uh, he's older than you. Ken Rideout. Do you know him? I haven't heard of him. Oh, he's based out of Boston. He's a boxer. Okay. Right up your alley, I think. I think he's... Uh, We're we're kindred spirits. Yeah, he's maybe 55. Okay. He's a little bit older. He ran Chicago like 234 or something. Okay, maybe I do know him. He was just on Ritual podcast. Okay, I've heard of... Okay, I know him. I know him. He keeps getting faster every every year, which is incredible. He's biohacking himself. So yeah, this is, again, why I selfishly work for more. Now I'm trying to biohack my way back to some semblance of of competitiveness. So look, never say, I'm not going to run Boston this year. I missed the window to, to, to enter, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm always going to have that competitive mindset. I love that, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, you obviously have a wealth of knowledge, so thank you for sharing it with me and everybody listening. Uh, if anybody wants to connect with you, where's the best place to do that at? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Instagram. I think is a fun way to to connect because you, I, I, I like to give people fire emojis and and, <laughs> and inspire people. So I was be living. Uh, B-L-I-V-I-N originally, but that account got hacked. So now I'm B-Livin 2.0, the re, the reincarnation, B-L-I-V-I-N 2.0. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's what I love. Cause I, I, I love, I love to follow more people than be followed because I want to see, I, I love when people share their Morton stories with yeah. me. I love giving emojis. What I give is the more 10, right? So you heard of the high five. I do a more 10. <laughs> Can we do a more 10 together? Let's do it. Here we go. Okay. Yeah, because you heard of like an amen in church, right? So yeah. <laughs> when I say, can I get an amen? You hear amen. So can I get a more 10? More, more 10. 10. There we go. Yes. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end this. Um, again, thank you for coming on and, and sharing all your knowledge and everything with us. Uh, this is a pleasure, man. Thank you. You're welcome. Beautiful. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, leave a review, and share it with a friend. And thank you to our sponsors of this episode, 2before Performance Nutrition. Use the code JMiller for $10 off your order at 2before.com, and you can feel the powerful benefits of New Zealand blackcurrant berries. We'll see you in the next one.